How are you? Yeah, all good. I actually um, I done a ten k today. Um, wow. I know. Uh, in, in the gym or out in the street? Or, yeah, no, it was it was in the gym. It was in the gym. Okay, um, brilliant. How did that go? Oh, it was fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was good, but like my legs are literally like lead pipes. Um, right. Worth it though. Worth it. Right. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm sure. Trying to be more balanced in the sense of like eating better and exercising more. So yeah, t- 10k today. It did take me uh, 76 minutes, but I done it. So can't really argue right, well, any more than that. Yeah, congratulations. Doing it is uh, is is the thing, right? Does it give you like a readout of how many calories you burnt and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that... it was a uh, 697 calories, so it barely covers okay. a Big Mac meal, which is disappointing. <laughs> but... Or is that what you've gone and done after the run? <laughs> nah, I've been I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good. I didn't go uh, meat free Mondays, but I, I had a healthy tea, so I can't really complain too much. What okay, about you? What's cool. been happening? Well, I, I did meat free Monday. Um, the oh, the advertising have... uh, Linda McCartney veg- vegetarian meatballs. And like pasta and bolognese sauce, it was good. Um, yeah, uh, but had pizza at the weekend. It was International Pizza Day, so you know you, you can't you can't miss out on that, can you? Um, yeah. Apart from exactly. that, I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. Good, good weekend and uh, fine fine Monday today. Um, so shall we? Can I kick off with things? Yeah, let's things? go or, for it. Let's go right, for it. Okay, so um, uh, this is the Pure Football Podcast. Uh, this is the stories, people, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond by fans and for fans. Um, I'm Owen Brown and with me is Gavin Miller. Uh, Gavin's the founder and uh, social media guy and week- weekly Twitter live stream um, for Pure Football. Uh, the best place to find Gavin, I guess, online is at the Pure Football Twitter account, which is at P-U-R-E-F-I-T-B-A-W. And um, you can follow me if you want at Owen James Brown on Twitter. Um, anything to add in terms of introduction, Gavin? Uh, nope, nope. As as usual, you've nailed it, mate. So that's all good. Okay, cool. Um, I think the first thing that we said we would speak about this week was uh, Friday um, evening when we went to uh, see another podcast, The Terrace, and their uh, live podcast. Um, how how was that for you, Gavin? Uh, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. I thought the guys done an amazing job. Um, there was obviously some there were some technical glitches. Um, the same guy looked like a you know he looked like something out of Wayne's World. Um, <laughs> but uh, the guy's done excellent, and I was I was really proud to see. Obviously, we both know uh, Robert Borthwick from our previous work, so it was great to see him doing really well. Um, the full night was awesome, um, and yeah, it was just it was really good to get to to know those guys a little bit better, and that some of the stories was just excellent. What was your sort of view on it? Yeah, I really enjoyed myself. To kind of set the picture for anybody that um, didn't make it, or you know, um, maybe was thinking of, but but weren't able to. Um, it was at a student union in Glasgow, and there were maybe uh, just over a hundred people in the audience, and there were kind of two sections for the terrace guys. Um, half of them, first of all, on stage um, discussing some kind of memorable uh, Scottish Premiership and uh, uh, matches and, and so on, and then second half was. Um, more focused on lower divisions in Scotland. Uh, there was supposed to be a Q&A afterwards, but uh, things kind of ran over a little bit. Um, everybody was um, telling some really good stories about matches that were kind of um, memorable for them, so it kind of went on a bit longer than I guess they anticipated. But yeah, it was it was really good. Great, great night. And it was kind of um, nice to hear that they were potentially thinking about doing some more live shows. So yeah, I uh, look forward to them if, if those happen as well. Yeah, I think that you know they they've set the groundwork for a lot of uh, people like ourselves um, with with the work that they've done. So uh, kudos to them, and uh, I can't wait to see how things move forward for them. Yep, absolutely, me too. Um, the the next thing that we said that we'd speak about tonight it's uh, Monday uh, evening for anybody that's listening. Obviously, the podcast will be out a little bit later in the week, um, but we're going to talk about the Scottish Cup, um, the matches that were just passed. In fact, one just finished. Um, don't know if you saw Gavin that Ross County equalised in kind of last minute to make it to each um, against uh, Inverness at, at home. Um, did you did you see that? Oh, no, I'm, I'm literally just home from the gym. I actually totally okay. forgot that game was on. Right. Um, sounds like it was a good one though. 
Yeah, it seems like there were a lot of chances. I didn't get to see it myself, but a uh, 91st minute equaliser um, from Josh Mullen to make it to each. Um, and it seemed like there were, you know, it was pretty exciting, a lot, a lot of chances. Um, and that's, you know, kind of top of the league against, what, fourth uh, in, in the championship. So um, definitely an interesting clash. Um, and it'll be quite exciting to see what happens in the, the replay there. Um, what, what about some of the other ties that um, just kind of happened over the weekend? Uh, yeah, I thought, um, where to start? Um, I guess the, the obvious one is probably Kilmarnock Rangers. Um, it looks like Steve Clark has... Uh, I think he's got Stephen Gerrard's number. It does look like that way, doesn't it? Especially at Rugby Park. Um, you know, Rangers really struggled to create a whole lot of clear-cut chances. Um, and I thought, you know, Steve Clark's just, they're so resolute and they're so um, dominant... Uh, and just oh, breaking news, uh, Aberdeen have drawn Kilmarnock or Rangers in the next round. All right, okay, um, well that's exciting. Um, but yeah, so um, I just I just find that um, Steve Clark's, you know what he's going to do, you know how he's going to do it, but it's Rangers' job to come up with an answer to it, and they they just didn't have one. And uh, we'll probably get more hate for this, seeing as we're pure Celtic. But um, <laughs> I thought Jermaine Defoe was disappointing again. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Just to kind of um, flag up what Gavin was saying there, um, we had a little bit of feedback about our pilot episode that there had been quite a lot of uh, mention of the Celtic, not by people who had actually listened by it to the show, but just from the kind of one sheet of the running order we did. Um, so if there are any kind of criticisms of Rangers, generally it's... Um, I think you can expect to maybe hear some praise and criticisms of most teams on this podcast, and they're they're just you know coming from a a place of us wanting to um, maybe see all teams do a wee bit better. On that note, um, yeah, uh, Defoe clearly um, we've had discussions about this. He's not going to offer the same sort of things that Morelos can um, in terms of ability and, and movement, and um, it had already um, kind of struck us both um, when watching. The um, league match against Kilmarnock recently, that even with the two of them on the pitch, it felt kind of like Defoe's lack of movement and, and lack of involvement maybe limited um, the opportunity for Morelos to get shots off. He was kind of taking up spaces that Morelos might get into, but you know this was an interesting one to see with um, Morelos out the pitcher due to suspension and Defoe um, on his own up top. And uh, did you did you feel that it was a a problem for for Rangers? Yeah, I think that it'll need to be addressed again in the summer. Um, it doesn't look like Defoe's going to be an answer. And obviously, as he gets older, the more his body's going to deteriorate, the more he's going to lose the you know the the skill set that he is already losing. Uh, and that's not doing him a disservice because obviously he scored a few goals. But the way that Steven Gerrard expects Rangers to play with a high tempo, high press, um, I'm just not seeing that from Defoe, and it's it's actually hindering the rest of the team. To be perfectly honest. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was an area uh, of focus in the summer. Yeah, you have to remember that, yes, he may have scored a couple of goals, but um, one of those against Kilmarnock was in a game that they lost. If he maybe wasn't playing, do they maybe win that game? Um, and you know, yep. also against St Mirren when you know, they, they won 4-0 and perhaps somebody else might have scored that. It wasn't that important a goal in the grand scheme of things, I guess you would say. Um, and then, obviously, there was some... Um, I'm not saying that he's not contributed anything, far far from it, but just, you know, you have to wonder um, if, uh, certainly for next season, but maybe even for the duration of uh, this season, the run-in, is he going to be the best option um, as a kind of backup to Morales or is there something else that they can do and uh, would they want to have the pair of them starting together if they are both fit and available? I don't know. Um, but but anyway, the, I guess the key thing again is to, uh, as you kind of pointed out, um, highlight how good Steve Clark's doing as a, a job there, and kind of nullifying Rangers, and you know, so um, uh, you know, not not just nullifying, I think, but as they showed in the league, they can um, get get great results with yeah. what he's doing. Yep, um, I think just moving on to, I guess, the natural progression is to move to to Celtic's demolition of St Johnston. Mm. Um, it was so contrast to the game that was at McDermott Park. Uh, you obviously had the you know Saints holding out for the best part of seventy five minutes uh, and eventually caving in, looking like they maybe could have nicked something at a couple of points. But this was just an absolute rout 
um, by Celtic, and uh, I can't wait to get your take on Scott Sinclair. <laughs> uh, they were all tappings, so <laughs> my point stands. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, genuinely, I do sort of mean that. Obviously, it's ridiculous that I could think of criticising a guy in any way when he's um, on a hot streak in terms of goals and you know had a hat trick in the game and so on. But you know, goals can be a little bit misleading at times. Um, they 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 were genuinely. Um, kind of laid on a plate in the most part by other people for him um, particularly the one where Burke you know, set it up for him um, and that was also the case in some of the other games recently where he scored a lot of goals for instance against Aberdeen where you know, Edward um, created uh, the, the, the one near the end through some brilliant play um, so you know I, I still sort of hold out with the idea that yeah somebody can be scoring quite a lot of goals and being in the right place at the right time is brilliant, but other people can do that too. Just and and those other people might also be able to add something else as well um, to to the game. So, uh, well done to him. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not not quite letting up on that one yet. Um, and in terms of the match itself, um, it seemed to be quite an interesting one. And in that, well, I guess the first thing, the difference maybe between the the Celtic um, Cup game there at home and, and the game away at St Johnston is. You can see, I guess, how um, much a early goal um, can can make a difference. Um, but also, I think Scott Brown has um, had a, had a great performance in the game. Clearly, made some headlines for his goal, but seemed like he was also, um, you know, really um, kind of in charge in the, in the midfield. And Oliver Burke again seemed to make a difference with a lot of kind of direct running and pace and just different kind of energy up front. Um, so yeah, and, and also um, it seems as though Johnny Hayes had a pretty good game from left back, which is, uh, I guess, maybe encouraging for Celtic given the um, lack of other options, presumably for Thursday night's game against Valencia. We'll, we'll come to that a wee bit later. Um, how about the? Um, I guess would you class it as an upset? St Mirren losing to to Dundee United? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's I feel sorry saying that for every St Mirren fan. We've had we've had a few decent articles brought up about St Mirren on the site, and uh, they just look completely lost. They don't seem to have a philosophy. They don't seem to have an identity. Um, I really fear for Oren Kearney. I think, and I don't I don't like wishing for people to be out of a job, but I feel like. His time is coming to you know an end uh, really quickly, and I think if St Mirren want to stay up, which I'm sure you know we'll speak about later, um, I think that might be a change that they have to make because um, I can't see how he is going to turn this around. And all the games that I've seen, they've been nothing but disappointment. And uh, Dundee United, uh, credit to them, they looked excellent. Uh, Nicky Clark's goal was fantastic. It was a a great move and a great finish. Um, so yeah, I think that you know their signings that they've brought in with, and actually you know the the, the managerial appointment of Robbie Nielsen as well seems to be paying off as uh, for Dundee United. So I think I think it'd be good to get them back in the league because um, you know they're showing all the signs that you know, they're capable of uh, improving and um, and beating teams like St Mirren away from home. That's that's a Premiership team, so they deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, that's really really good for Dundee United and. Um, as you mentioned, the draw is happening right now, and Dundee United have drawn um, either Ross County or Inverness Caldo and Thistle. So there's going to be a championship team um, in the semi-finals. Um, That's great. As a result of that draw, just you know, while we're kind of mentioning them, the other um, draws for the semi, uh, the quarters rather, are uh, as you mentioned, Aberdeen at home to Kilmarnock or Rangers. Um, Hearts will uh, be at um, Partick Thistle, um, and um, Celtic. Uh, will be away to Hibernian, so th- those are the kind of um, next round games, the quarterfinal games. Um, yeah, in terms of St Mirren against Dundee United and, and what you were kind of saying there, um, it, it, particularly given that I guess you know Dundee United were down to ten men with about half an hour to go, and still you know St Mirren couldn't. Uh, you know they did get a goal back from that point with one of their new signings, uh, Nazon. But you know it's it's worrying, I guess, that they weren't able to get fully back into the tie at that point. Uh, and kind of talking of them, and you know what you were saying about Orn Kearney, we, we did say that the next thing that we'd be looking at tonight would be to have a kind of quick discussion of who we thought 
might um, stay up, I guess, out of the three teams at the bottom of the Scottish Premier uh, ship. So we have St Mirren, Dundee, and Hamilton, who are all you know far and away um, worse um, at the moment in terms of points um, than anybody else in the league. One of them is going to survive by getting tenth place. Who knows? Maybe the team that you know land on eleventh can stay up. But um, certainly, let's have your take, Gavin, on who's going to get the tenth spot. Who's going to survive? Uh, for me, for for the tenth spot, that goes to Dundee and Jim McIntyre. Uh, okay. I, I like the recruitment that they they made in January, picking up um, Ryan McGowan, uh, Ethan Robson, Andrew Nelson, uh, who I've been really hot on, and he started really well for for yep. Dundee. Um, I think they've they've made a you know a good turnaround, and it's not. It's not setting the world on fire, but they're picking up points on a more regular basis, and I think that's going to be the difference between staying up and and not. Um, I also really want to see a Dundee derby next year. I think it's good for the league, um, the more meaningful games that we have in the league. So, uh, yeah, that would be my sort of take for the 10th position. Uh, and I just think Dundee's overall squad is probably better uh, than the other two. That's my sort of take on, on it. Not sure. sure how you feel about Kenny Miller, though. I know he's about seven hundred years old. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, my my ageism agenda's uh, <laughs> been laid bare by Gavin yet again. There. Um, <laughs> do you want to give us your thoughts on who might go down in the twelfth automatic relegation place? Then, or yeah, well, originally I thought I thought it was going to be Hamilton, but um, I'm going to go for St. Mirren. Um, the more I see them, the more I worry about them. Uh, I like the look of the boy Dreyer that they brought in. Uh, mm-hmm. He was actually one of the few positives from their 4-0 defeat against Rangers. Uh, yep. He worked extremely hard and, and he looked like he had a bit of quality about him. But I just I, I feel like they're a bit of a mess. You can't A lot of teams you can identify a certain style and a certain characteristic in the way that they play. But when you watch St Mirren, it's, you don't get that. You don't think, well, they're going to be tough to beat or they're going to play on the counter or they're going to play great. You know, pressing football, but they're just exposed at the back because they don't have the quality. You just can't say what they do apart from lose. <laughs> um, do you think that's because they've got so many new players? Uh, do you think there will be a possibility for Kearney to get some sort of um, philosophy or, or style in place? You know, with a bit of time with these players. Bear in mind, not sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just gonna say, bear in mind he's been in the job since October. Sure. Um, so. For me, that should be enough time to lay down some sort of identity, uh, or at least have some sort of strategy. Whereas it literally just looks like they're they're going through the motions in every single game. Uh, they obviously lost Adam Adam Hamill, who went back down south to Scunthorpe. Mm-hmm. That was a hu- that was a huge blow for them because he was their creative outlet. Uh, he looked like he could you know do something out of nothing, um, and they've not really replaced that. So yeah, I'm kind of kind of worried about how how that looks for for St Mirren and. And I just don't see where they're going to pick up the points. Okay, well, um, we're, we're actually kind of in agreement with this. Um, I wrote an article for statsbomb.com um, on Friday, um, and one of the bits of that article was you know, this exact question to kind of pick out who I thought might um, survive out of these three. I, I said the exact same as you, that I thought that Dundee would make it up to 10th spot and that Hamilton would come 11th and that St Mirren would be the one that um, got the automatic relegation place. Um, to kind of go through a little bit of detail on each of those teams um, briefly, um, I think that um, yeah, St Mirren, there's just I don't see enough about them to, to survive. I'm interested by some of the new signings. Um, but you know, remain to be convinced by them in the the couple of games that I've seen. They're as we kind of touched on last time. They're already on their fourth goalkeeper of the season. Um, we'll see if this one Crazy. sticks or yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's been a tough uh, time for them. Uh, they've uh, lost their last six matches. They're obviously bottom on on just twelve points. There's a couple of kind of underlying uh, statistics that are concerning. They take the second fewest shots in the league and create the second least um, expected goals per match in the league. For me, they really lack, as you kind of pointed out, particularly now that um, Hamill's gone, any sort of creativity and kind of successful means of progressing the ball at the pitch. Um, and they, uh, 
they shoot on average um, over 19 meters away from a goal. Uh, so they, they really, really struggle to get into you know dangerous positions. Um, now, some of their defensive metrics are a little bit better than their direct relegation rivals. So they concede the fourth most shots per match and the third highest expected goals on average. Um, but the thing is that Hamilton and Dundee have both made some improvements in those kind of areas at, at points during um, the season, whereas St Mirren have been pretty bad throughout, which to me kind of suggests that there's maybe not um, much room for uh, them to surprise us and do anything different. So and that would be unless maybe some of the, the January signings. And, you know, I'm, I'm as I said, maybe the new goalkeeper might really help. Um, and you know the the people that we mentioned as well, um, the Dreyer that was the the guy that impressed you. So that, yeah, yeah, that's the boy from Brighton. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And I I do like the the very young left back Erhahn, though I don't know if he's going to be playing now. They they have the other guy, Muzak, that's coming as well. So I'm not saying that there's nothing about them at all. Um, and I, I hope that they can surprise us and um, put together a good run. But I just think things are going to be very very difficult for them. Um, in terms of the kind of other teams, so for me, um, Hamilton, um, they are obviously now in, up in tenth place. Um, they've got a new manager, Brian Rice, and a draw and a win and uh, two games for him. Um, but they're they're still kind of the reason why I maybe think that they might fall down into eleventh spot is that um, they take the least shots and generate the lowest expected goals per match in the league. Um, they also concede the most shots, um, and they concede the highest expected goals from set pieces, and um, the second highest expected goals overall per match. They've got a really bad age profile in terms of uh, kind of not giving a lot of minutes to people within a good age range. So they've got you know a couple of players um, at the really high end, like uh, Dougie Emery and Matthew Kilgallen, and even like uh, McKinnon. Um, who are all pretty old, and then there's some people at the lower end, uh, I guess like uh, Aaron McGowan and Scott McMahon and and uh, so on, that are very young but um, have quite a lot of minutes this season. There are very very few players for them in the kind of age range of maybe between like 23 and 28 uh, outfield players that are getting a reasonable amount of minutes. So that that kind of concerns me. Um, Can I ask yep. just a couple of, couple of questions for for your sure, opinion? Sure. What what would you do if you were first of all St. Mirren? How would you try and turn it around? What sort of things would you look to do? Uh, well, I would need to know a little bit more about the players that they've brought in in January to kind of understand uh, that. Um, I I mean, they need to work out a way to get better chances. Would be my main take on what I've seen statistically from them. Um, you know they're they're really not able to progress the ball into dangerous areas. They need to have a look at why that's happening and what they can do to get better chances because they're they're really not making um, much in terms of goal scoring chances. That would be maybe where I would uh, kind of start with them. What what about you? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking um, from what you've said about the, you know the data that you've looked at. It sounds like you know if they're not creating a lot, and Simeon Jackson, I think his form is is fairly decent. I think he's one of the few positives that they've got, and and maybe positive is clutching at straws. But mm. um, to me, it just sounds like they need to you know be a bit quicker, uh, getting you know transitioning. So I'm wondering if they they need to you know play wider and rather and be less compact. That's just my sort of thinking because they're not they're not. They're losing points regardless, so they need to they need to change something. So playing, you know, low block, um, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the answer for them. I think they've got to be a bit more aggressive. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, they need to definitely find a way that they can get up the pitch and get some chances themselves, um, particularly maybe as they head towards the split and they're going to be maybe playing against more teams that they might hope to be able to get points off. Um, that, that would definitely be something for, for them to try and do. But um, ideally, we can maybe get some comments from St. Samaritan fans if you want to contact us at PureFitBall on Twitter and let yeah. us know your thoughts about how the team maybe should be playing or what the focus might be on trying to improve their position. Um, just finally, in, in terms of Dundee, um, I don't think that they've fully shaken off um, the kind of style of Neil McCann. Um, so that they're still um, a little bit less aggressive than what I would 
maybe hope they would be. So they're they're kind of um, getting bypassed in the midfield a little bit um, too easily, and then you know kind of making some last ditch attempts to defend, and that's kind of leading to them you know conceding a lot of shots, second most shots in the league. Um, but they also the, the interesting thing was Dundee is that they give up the the best chances essentially, so the highest average expected goals per shot. Um, so people are able to get into dangerous you know kind of areas against them. You can see that very clearly on the stats bomb article. There's a shot map there which shows how how good um, some of the locations for shooting against Dundee are. Um, so that that would be a problem for them in my opinion. Um, they have a lot more of the ball than the other two that we're talking about at the moment um, Dundee have 49% possession on average in their games um, but they don't really kind of still create good chances so it's, it's not as bad as it was early in the season where they were you know, in, in my view a little bit trying to um, overcomplicate their football in an attacking sense um, but they're still maybe not getting good chances so still don't take enough shots, still don't um, get into good enough positions to score but really maybe the thing that I would be concerned for with Dundee is the quality of chances that are given away. We've all seen uh, some pretty abysmal defending from their centre-backs at times um, it may have gone a little bit under the radar this season because his kind of ball progression wasn't the same but Glenn Kamara was having to do a lot of firefighting at times um, on a kind of flanks for you know a defensive kind of element they might miss that although I kind of think maybe the goalkeeper that they've added, uh, Senny Dieng, on loan from QPR, I think he could be quite decent, so we'll see if he can make a, a different form in that, that regard. And as you point and out, you, Andrew Nelson looks like he's uh, going to do pretty well for them. And do you think that Hamilton will uh, stay up, or do you think that they will lose to potentially Ayr or Dundee United, depending on who goes up? Who would you who would you put your money on if you had to pick? I think Hamilton will go down because I think at that point the age um, kind of thing will uh, count even more. Uh, it will be a long season and and having that lack of players within a kind of peak age period might just mean that the the momentum with the team from the championship will, will count. But obviously that's a um, that's just a quick take. Who knows? We'll maybe come back to that closer to the time when we know a little bit more about how um, each team is playing and you know just before the playoffs. Okay, cool. So um, that's us covered our sort of relegation uh, contenders. Mm. I guess one of the things that you just mentioned there about the split, so we actually had a bit of a conversation about this. So um, what's your take on the the split? Do you think it's a good thing or do you think it's something that needs to be reviewed? Uh, I really don't like it in general. Um, So I I, I get that it can maybe throw up some exciting things. Like this season, it should be quite exciting given, you know, particularly the relegation kind of battle that we spoke about there um, but I, I just don't like it um, it just doesn't sit right in my mind in terms of how I'd want a league to be run I, I, I do appreciate that obviously if we're having a 12 team league then there is the argument that 44 matches um, is too many and then there's the argument that if we extend the league at the top league to I don't know 18 or 20 teams um, then maybe the quality isn't good enough to have that um, size of top division or you know the gulf would be too big between some teams and some others but uh, for me yeah I, I just don't like it I don't think I want Everdy to kind of play Everdy the uh, same amount of times what, what what about you though do you have any kind of- yeah I think I think it makes us look ridiculous when seventh can have more points than sixth and I understand why that can happen because six is playing you know the the top top end of the teams um, playing you know teams that finish above them, whereas seventh is playing the teams that finish below them. I get why that can happen, but it's just to me, I just think it's silly, mm. um, and I'm not sure it's it's really doing what what it was designed to do. Um, what do you feel it was designed to do? Like what's your? I th- I think I think the purpose of it was to create more meaningful games. Mm-hmm. But look, for example, now if you look at Motherwell, who are going to be safe. They're going to finish in seventh. If you're a Motherwell fan, and you've got nothing to play for once you finish seventh, because you're not going to get relegated, but you're not going to go any further. So, what's the point? It just feels like it creates more pointless games than it does, you know, meaningful games. In my opinion, sure, that that could be an um, argument. I mean, I guess this season for what Livingston, Hibernian, Motherwell, um, and even 
for St Johnston, I guess, even if they're in the top uh, six, if we just look at the table as it is just now, the, it is kind of meaningless, the fact that it's split for those teams. But I guess the argument would be uh, this season that Hamilton, Dundee, St Mirren is going to facilitate a bit of an exciting kind of clash where we know that they're going to be playing each other at some point during their kind of end uh, running for the relegation battle and then um, depending on what happens at the top end of the table you could have still uh, I know that Celtic have maybe pulled away from Aberdeen and Kilmarnock at least but if we say that there could still be movement there or at the very least there's going to be some exciting games around European places um, between you know Hearts, Kilmarnock, Aberdeen, Rangers so on so I guess that might be the argument in terms of how it will work this season. What do you think about that? Yeah, I just I just feel like it's more this is the outlier rather than the. I norm. agree with that. Um, I think so. You know, it might be great this year, and if it continues that way, then I'll happily you know eat my own words. But I just feel like it'll quickly, you know, regress back to the way where we'll have more games that has more, or so that has less value. And and again, yeah, I just I, I think it's the the seventh versus sixth thing because that that costs teams money. Um, you know, if you're finishing with more points, than the team finishing sixth, but you're getting less prize money. That to me just seems silly. And also to for these smaller teams, so um, mm. I don't want this to sound bad, but you know the difference of not having that uh, extra old firm gate or not that's big to these clubs. I I guess um, so. I I know, I'm not sure if I would want that. I to know be they should kind of focus because. I might no. advocate for a, a league where you no, have, you, I don't know, fewer games against every team. So, but but I get what you're saying. Ah, uh, so do so so do I. But what uh, I I think a, a a bigger league is the actual answer. Um, but yeah, that I think is it's unfair on these teams. You know, you they shouldn't plan on that that as a revenue source. But the the sure. cold hard truth yeah. is it is a revenue source. Um, so so yeah, I think it's it's. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a bit of a review in the, the full structure, to be honest. Um, and then when we look at the championship, you know, we've just seen Dundee United beating St Mirren. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, a cup, mm-hmm. Ross County knocked out Motherwell. Um, so these teams are, they're more than capable of, of you know, holding their own uh, in the top flight. So I think, you know, you, you could easily see these teams jumping back up. And obviously the form that Partick Thistle have been on, they're undefeated uh, in mm-hmm. 2019. Um Falkirk are also the same, so these clubs are, you know, I think there's there's definitely room for some improvement in in that sense for me. So what do you think then? Two twenty team divisions? Uh, I'm not sure if I would go two twenty. Um, I like regionality mm-hmm. for the lower divisions. I think it makes more sense to uh, keep the smaller teams within a sort of north versus south, if you will, um, and you know keep the keep the costs down for example you know when you've got Elgin playing Annan on a Wednesday night that doesn't that doesn't help anybody that's just ludicrous so uh, I'm not too sure that you know the format for the lower divisions but the, the top flight should at least be 16 teams in my opinion okay uh, and the and the rest uh, you know look at regionality and and what you also get then is the cup games become something special again where uh, you know if you're playing a team for if you're in the, the north region and you get drawn against someone from a south region that's like a proper away day where you know you can get excited for and all that sort of stuff that's that seems like a better solution uh, to me and a, a smarter solution and I think that's what Scottish football needs to be in general we just need to be smarter we play to our strengths and uh, and think logically about our decisions rather than looking you know directly what's in front of us right now Okay, well, that's something to think about. I'm not sure I'm convinced about the kind of geographical split, but um, we can maybe both think about that. And again, I would be very much up for inviting some views uh, from fans out there, um, particularly if you're a fan um, of a maybe smaller club in one of the more uh, rural regions. So if uh, Gavin mentioned Elgin and Annan, um, if there happens to be anybody listening from either of those two areas or fans of those two clubs, let us know what you think. Um, do you agree with having you know kind of regional groupings at a lower level? Do you like the trips to these places, or maybe there's a middle ground? Maybe you'd be happier if instead of it being um, you know three or four um, games against each opponent in your league, 
maybe with a bigger division and there's just two matches so you only have one away tie to go to against uh, these kind of more uh, distant opponents from you that, that might be a workable thing anyway tell us um, and we'll kind of circle back to this I'm sure and we can talk a little bit more about uh, Gavin's grand plans for league restructuring <laughs> um, sometime again in the near future move over Neil Doncaster yeah absolutely I'm sure we'll get some people that will be um, more than happy to hear that <laughs> Uh, uh, just one, yeah. one thing I wanted to give a, a quick shout out today there was a, an article released on, on Pure Football and it's a bit of a sidetrack um, but uh, Evan McFarlane wrote about uh, Jonathan Johansson's struggles for Gunnick Morton um, the article's fantastic it goes into you can feel the sort of heart in the sleeve sort of review uh, and almost the pain that Evan had writing it uh, you know going through the motions as a, a Gunnick Morton fan so uh, if you haven't checked that out, head over to purefitball.com and it's the most recent article. Um, I think, and you've probably seen it on Twitter at some point as well. Yeah, I think what Gav says there is particularly true in this case that um, uh, the 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 way that the article seems to have resonated with other Morton fans shows um, you know how good an article it was and how well Evans got to the kind of root of what's happening there, and, and that's something we're very keen to do um, to have you know more of a voice for. Um, clubs that maybe aren't as represented uh, in you know formats like this ordinarily. Um, so to to kind of move on from our chat about the split, the next thing that we said um, that we would have a look at is uh, upcoming kind of games this week. So we, we spoke a little bit about the Scottish Cup, um, but later on this week there's the Europa League for Celtic at home to Valencia. So we, we said we would have a a chat about that. How, how do you see that game going, Gavin? Um, so I, I can't say that I've seen a whole load of video of Valencia this season I've seen that their the league position has improved from earlier in the year um, but this, I think the La Liga this year looks extremely tight um, doesn't look like there's much between a lot of teams uh, and yeah I think Valencia are sitting 8th um, but 3 points takes them up to just behind Sevilla in 4th if I remember rightly um, so yeah I think I think it'll be a tough game for Celtic i I worry about how Celtic centre-backs will cope with uh, Valencia's pressing uh, and Valencia's pace up front with uh, Santi Mina and Rodrigo. And, you know, I know Guedes hasn't played a whole lot recently, but even if if he does come on, uh, to see how they try and cope with that. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. I think it's going to be quite a tough game for Celtic. Um, I, again, I had a little look at this kind of match for Statsbomb, so I can give a wee bit of detail um, about um, what Celtic might expect. I mean, obviously, Celtic are in um, a pretty good spot just now, having won, what, five league matches in a row, um, and you know they've had a streak of clean sheets um, in both the league and cup matches, so th- things are going well, and... Um, but uh, Valencia are going to be a different type of test. It's obviously a very different experience for Celtic playing in in Europe, um, despite some you know uh, uh, credible performances that have managed to get them through the the group stage. It's very different for them than what they normally face in the league. Um, in terms of Valencia specifically, uh, like you point out, it's been a little bit of a strange season for them in Spain. A little bit of a strange season in Spain. Um, all round um, they probably will play in a kind of four four two formation and, and like you said there'll be quite a lot of pressure high up the pitch often it's on the flanks for them um, on the right um, there's Carlos Soler who is a bit more of a hard worker this season than the past maybe he's, he's a young guy but you know maybe in the past known for just kind of um, tricks and, and creative stuff but this season he's um applying a lot of pressure to fullbacks when he faces them. You mentioned Guedes, who could maybe appear on the other side, not not too long back from injury, and hasn't really been on the same level this season as he was last, but clearly he's a real danger. And, and up front, there's uh, Rodrigo, who's a really good dribbler, um, really good shot locations, and Santi Mina, who I particularly like, who's, uh, I don't know, if he gets fired up, he's, he's really, really good. Um, and there's... Danny Parejo in midfield, who's a really good playmaker, he's a captain, he's just signed a new contract and um, he's kind of pretty important to how they approach the game. I think the the good points maybe for Celtic to look out for, at least from my view, would be um, the defence of Valencia. Um, 
it can be a little bit mixed. So there's Ezekiel Garay, who's one centre-back, but he's 32 years old now. He's really dominant there. But if they can find a way to draw him forward, um, maybe by giving up a wee bit of the ball and, and letting kind of Valencia you know, dominate possession, um, there might be opportunities to get in behind him. I would say that for any team generally, but if you consider who Celtic might be able to field up front, you know, Ware, Burke, whoever, um, that would be a, a real opportunity for them. And the, it's unclear for me at least who will be his partner as centre-back, but if it is a guy called Mukhtar Diakabi, um, he's quite young. I think he will be really, really good. But he's um, a little bit of um, a risk for them in terms of in the air. He's not not as good at at winning high balls as Gray, and and he can be a little bit raw. Um, Might be an error on him that they can exploit. Um, And just to kind of dial back to what you said about kind of Valencia's performance this season, um, they've yeah had a, a wee bit of a strange season. So they'd only won four games up until the start of January. Um, they're still in eighth place. Um, but most of that, in my view, has been kind of down to, I guess you would say, unlucky um, finishing and kind of bad luck in front of goal. They had Mitchie Batshuayi um, for a large part of the season on loan, um, and, and he didn't really perform. Um, they have severely underperformed their expected goals, so they've not scored as many goals as they would um you know, you would have thought them to. In fact, if you look at their expected goals um, difference, it's the second best in average in La Liga. So, you know, based on those kind of underlying metrics, the, the chances they've created and the chances they've conceded, they should be a lot higher in the league than what they are. So the kind of point to that, I guess, is that they're it's going to be tough. It'll be a dangerous game. And, and I think, as we kind of alluded to earlier, um, the pressure that they'll apply on Celtic's backline will be something different to what Celtic have experienced, at least in this streak of games that they've done so well in since the turn of the year. Um, uh, the, the things that will be a real concern for me there would be uh, left back. So if maybe it's Johnny Hayes, I don't know. Do you think Kieran Tierney will actually be back in time for this, Gavin? Any? I think... I think that he'll do absolutely everything they can to play in this game. Yeah. Uh, if it was Hayes, I would be really worried for Celtic. In fact, regardless of who it is, if it isn't Tierney, I'd be really worried for Celtic. Mm. Um, I'm not even comfortable with the thoughts of, you know, whether it's Simunovic, um at the back. I, he just gives me the fear when he's in possession. It's it's easy to do it against, uh, you know, St Johnston or St Mirren at home at Parkhead, but it's a different. It's a different uh, challenge when you've got you know Rodrigo and Santi Mina uh, in your face, or even if it's Kevin Gamero who's had a bit of form recently as well. And I know he's not been as great, but he's got a couple of goals recently, so I think it will be a really tough night for Celtic. And it just feels a little bit like the Salzburg game for me. It seems like uh, you know Celtic were going in, into that game with good form, um, and I w- I'm not saying that they're, they're taking Valencia for granted, but there seems to be a lot of confidence. And rightly so with their form, but I just wouldn't be surprised to see Valencia dominate this game. Yeah, it's an absolute possibility. Um, I, I think um, in terms of the personnel at the back, um, that's going to be really important for Celtic. So my understanding is that Tierney was back in training a week ago today, so this is Monday, so last Monday the, the 4th, but it wasn't training with the first team, at least you know involved in sessions, it was kind of individual stuff and at that point um, you know coaches were saying that he wouldn't be back playing for a couple of weeks uh, but you know given the injury to Izagiri and, and so on it, and it might be the case that they see if they can get him back started um, this Thursday um, What? sorry go on one other question yep. that I had for you there on would you start Craig Gordon over Scott Bain no I, I wouldn't I think the thing that we've seen lately is that Scott Bain is so much better with the ball at his feet than Craig Gordon um, and that has been critical in uh, European games particularly when Celtic are getting pressed um, so I think if they can they'll aim to start Scott Bain I certainly would it'll be interesting to see if Scott Bain's passing um, he's had praise for it but we have to remember it's praise relative to Craig Gordon uh, and this will be a tough test in terms of the way that he gets pressed and, and the centre-backs get pressed. So be interesting to see how good his passing ends up being in this kind of really more difficult situation. 
Um, but yeah, w- would you not? Would you start Gordon? Do you think for his experience or? Mm, I'm in. I'm in a two minds over it. Uh, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Craig Gordon's a better goalkeeper overall. Um, but Bain's in better form, and I think as a keeper, form's probably more important. You don't want a keeper that's you know nervous, whereas Bain's at the you know the best form of his career. Uh, so I guess why wouldn't why would you drop him? There's not really a reason to. Um, so yeah. Okay, but it's more than just form, right? I mean, there's concrete things that Bain is better at, right? His distribution is clearly better. It's more comfortable with his ball with the ball at his feet, which matters in Europe. And I think he's shown that he's a very good shot stopper as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a... Um, well, I, I don't see it as a debate, really. Uh, for me, you would pick Bain. I think that, that I think they will pick Bain. So I, I guess the, the other thing that I'm thinking then, when, when you've got a higher press, if mm-hmm. you're expecting more pressure, is Bain hasn't really been in that situation for Celtic as of yet. He's been in a lot of comfortable situations. So, you know, it's easy... To pick out when, uh, for example, if you look at St Johnston, who play, you know, it's probably a lower block as you can possibly get. Um, well, I, th- I think, I think um, at the weekend, from my understanding, at least in the cup game, uh, Celtic kind of encouraged St Johnston to come on to them a little bit more than uh, they might normally. And uh, so, Bain did face. Obviously, it's not to the extent of Valencia would, but he did face more of a pressing St Johnston than okay. uh, what you might, you know, have, have seen from previous games. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, that's just that's just my thinking. I'm just I'm just wondering if this game is more about a little bit of caution um, mm-hmm. and whether you know having that from Craig Gordon. Yes, his distribution isn't as good, but I still think he's a better overall keeper. Uh, I think if you're looking for that, you know. You know, fingertip save. If you had to put your hat on, who would you rather, you know, in, in the goal for it? I would be Craig Gordon all day for me. Sure, I, I don't disagree with that um, necessarily, but I just think that at this level in this match, one of the key critical things they're going to face is pressing and having to deal with the ball and defence and stuff. And um, I'm not saying that being like, like I kind of pointed out, uh, the worry is that Bain hasn't really faced uh, opposition that will do this to a high level. But I think you could be pretty confident that he'll do it better than Gordon. Gordon's faced it and not done well. Uh, Bain hasn't really faced it, but he looks like he'll do better. So that that's why I would say that you would go with with him. Okay, cool. What about a prediction for the game? Do you have one? Um, What's the XG yeah, telling you? Good question. <laughs> uh, well, XG is not going to predict a single game for me. It's uh, uh, but I'll have a go. Um, particularly not with two teams that don't play in the you know the same league or and they've not got a comparable. Um, kind of matches but um, uh, let's think um, well you tell me yours first okay I, I think so my sort of hot take um, is it's going to be a score draw uh, I think Celtic will actually score first um, I think the atmosphere at Parkhead will be excellent uh, could intimidate uh, the Valencia players um, but I think over the piece I think Valencia will have enough to at least score Um and it's just that backline that gives me the the worries um, on on how Celtic will keep Valencia at bay. Okay, um, I think it will be quite tight as well, um, but I think it will be quite low scoring. Um, I think that um, Valencia will win one 0 That's my prediction for it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll circle back to this next Monday, okay. I guess, and we'll see how we, we go on with those. Um, so the kind of next and final thing that we said we would talk about are some. Scots abroad, um, so a couple of uh, Scottish players that are um, currently kind of um, performing for clubs out with um, Scotland and England as well um, that we want to talk about. Who, who do you have on your mind to uh, uh, talk about tonight? Yeah, I think we, what better place to start than with David Bates who um, has kept another clean sheet for Hamburg tonight and a 1-0 win over Dresden. Um there's an article coming out in Pure Football in the next couple of days about David Bates, um, but he's, you know, it's unbelievable how well he's performed, and you know he's got a Scotland call up off of the back of his performances for uh, Hamburg, uh, and it just shows, you know, that's a that is a tough league. Um, it's really tight. There's you know lots of experienced pros in that league. Uh, he's at a big club. It would be easy to fold under the pressure, um, but he's now on back to back clean sheets and. It looks like he's made the right choice. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, that's a very interesting one, and the, the fact you're kind of talk about um, dealing with the pressure is kind of key because 
as far as I understand, he's had a little bit of time in and out of the side. Um, that's not to say he's not been involved and he's done a, a lot of minutes and he's um, back in the team now and he was centre-back tonight, as you pointed out, in the 1-0 win against Dresden. But that, that shows that he can really cope with that, with being um, you know in and out of the team in a really, really tough league. There's a lot of very high-quality teams and... Uh, if you, um, you know, hopefully most of our uh, listeners have watched some of those games. But even if you just have a look on Twitter for some footage of tonight's game between Hamburg and Dynamo Dresden, that's a pressure atmosphere. I know he's at home, but uh, you know, look at the uh, the fireworks and so on going on. It's um, a, a tough place to play, I can imagine. So I'm I'm absolutely delighted for him. He's doing amazingly well, um, and I look forward to reading the the article on Pure Football that gives a bit more detail about him yeah um, just had a yeah. quick look there so he's made 17 appearances for Hamburg out of those 17 he's, cle- he's kept 8 clean sheets so um, you know great great for him uh, and again when you think they're, they're playing in the league against teams like uh, Köln uh, Union Berlin are doing really well um, Horst and Kiel have been one of the you know the the uh, trendiest clubs in, in Europe to support um, so so yeah I think it's great that he's he's able to commit to that level of performance I know it's not just him but to be part of that uh, I think is really important for his development and you know in Scotland people seeing him as a very limited defender I think he's proven that he's more than that So do you think something has changed or we didn't maybe understand him has he just kind of developed I mean he's very young so Yeah he's um, only 22 so I think he's still developing he he was in some horrific Rangers teams um, mm. and he was one of the few positives that you know you can refer to under the you know the Kashinya era, um, yep. so yeah, I think you know he was developing. I think for Rangers right now, you would much rather have him than, say, for example, Gareth McCauley uh, or uh, even Joe Worrell. The fact that he would be your asset that you're developing. Um, so yeah, I think that's it's great for David Bates that he's he's doing as well. Um, I guess yeah, the, I agree. Next one on the the, the list. Was, well, just just to go back to yep. Bates and what what you said there very briefly. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate, isn't it, that Rangers didn't keep him. I know that, from the sounds of it, he wanted um, wages that were maybe not possible um, in terms of where Rangers wanted to allocate their resources. And also, I'd assume a key factor for him was major playing time. Um, and that probably wasn't a possibility, but it just, as you pointed out, seems a real pity that, um, yeah, he might not have been happy with fourth place, so maybe having Gareth McCauley there is not the blockage, but even third choice, and you know we've seen that Rangers between Katic and Worrell as kind of third choice um, and second choice. There's a lot of shared minutes there, so you know you kind of feel like he could have had a fair amount of game time this this season. That's a it's a shame, but um, however, it's working out well for him, and uh, we look forward to um, him developing further and hopefully getting some more call-ups for Scotland. Yeah, it's great. Yep, so next we've got uh, Liam Henderson, who is at Hellas Verona. Uh, he seems to have gone out of the side um, recently. Uh, he's not had as many minutes, um, but I think without knowing a whole lot uh, about Henderson, the, the, the few things that you hear over here uh, is he was linked with a move to Fiorentina. Um, I don't think that's happening unless he's playing well. Um, there's not a whole lot of, of data out there for how Henderson's playing, um, but I know that he's played 13 games this year, uh, or sorry, this season for Verona um, with two goals. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's it's good again that I think it's more the the thought around that you know these players are taking these cultural experiences uh, opposed to um, you know going to uh, Hibs like Henderson was at, who he could easily have went back to. Uh, I think this is better for Henderson's career, uh, and once he. Once he's you know finished his time at Verona, we'll have a better player that's either back in Scotland or still abroad. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's um, I don't know. It's really pleasing that people are seeking out um, these different experiences, going to different you know, cultures and playing for different clubs. I do hope, as you pointed out, that Henderson can start getting back in the team um, more consistently. Don't don't know a great deal of detail about what's happened there exactly, but it looks to me as though, as you pointed out, the last kind of three games um, he's been on the bench, and prior to that there was maybe. Uh, one game um, in late December where he played almost the full 90 minutes apart from that it's kind of been 
limited sub appearances back to kind of October when he was maybe making, uh, you know, October and prior to that through September when he was doing uh, some full 90s. So let's hope that he can get back on the pitch for, you know, uh, full matches um, there and that, you know, things continue to be uh, good for him and he you know, kind of develops as a player abroad. Um, yeah, um, which would be great to see. It was really pleasing when he, you know, kind of went over there and started doing so well. So I hope he can get back to that. Yep. And just finally, uh, Jack Harper. Uh, he's, I think you, you got some information about, you know, how the fans in Malaga, you know, have taken to him um, being, is it, he was born in Malaga, is that right? Or just Yeah, outside? so Harper was actually born in Malaga. I mean, to Scottish parents who, um, in effect, were kind of travelling there and had couple of kids who were slightly older than Harper so he has I guess um, a little bit of a, a unique uh, situation in that you know he's Scottish but but born there and he plays in effect for his hometown team um, so it seems that he's pretty popular with the, the fans there um, and he's had um, a pretty good season Malaga in fourth in the second division in Spain um, I think he's what maybe played about 18 games and scored maybe four goals um, I've only seen YouTube highlights. He's, um, you know, looks pretty impressive in terms of the type of goals he scored and those kind of highlights. But um, I'm going to try and watch some full games and, and you know, kind of get my eye on him. What would you know about him, Gary? Yeah. So sure. uh, again, I just know similar as yourself. He's he's well uh, thought of from the the Malaga fans. He's got a chance at La Liga next year because Malaga are with a, a shout of. Promotion. Um, I know that he did have uh, quite a bad injury and he was out for for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but he looks like he's getting back to full fitness now. And I think again, it just it's the same sort of thing for me as with Henderson. It's the cultural experience. It's the and he's slightly different because obviously he's played most of his career in Spain. I think he I want to say he was at Brighton, um, but he yep. was also yeah, at, that's where he was. Uh, he was also at Real Madrid as a youth. I want to say, but I, th- I might be making that up. Um, yeah, he was at Real Madrid as well. Yeah, yes. Um, so uh, until until like kind of twenty fifteen, I think. Yeah, so I think you know for him again with his profile, it would have been you know Real Madrid youth player. It could could easily have ended up back in the UK, and the fact that he's gone back uh, to Spain to further his development, um, back to his hometown. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's great for him, and I, I really hope that he does well. I think it's something that more Scottish players should be looking to do. To be perfectly honest, um, there's you know it's. What's the point in going to these championship teams and getting limited minutes or being a backup at Celtic and Rangers getting limited minutes? Why not take a chance and you know go to like the Eredivisie or uh, Germany or somewhere like this where you're going to get you know some incredible coaching uh, and some incredible life experience that can really help you develop as a player? I completely agree with that, Gavin. It would be very exciting to start seeing some players. We, obviously, we would ideally like um, you know the best players, the most promising young players to be developing in Scotland. Uh, you know, a good widespread of clubs. But um, like you say, if if there's an opportunity for a move, maybe instead of going to you know kind of League One or the Championship in England, there are financial considerations. Of course, you might you know players probably find that the wages there in England are better. Um, but um, yeah, instead of being a bench warmer at Celtic or Rangers, or instead of um, you know going down south, it would be great to see some more of these players head abroad and experience um, different ways of life, and hopefully some uh, really good coaching there as well. Yep, um, and you know ultimately, of course, they can come back and then test themselves in the league here, like you know Ryan Gold is is doing now, and um, maybe we'll see Jack Harper doing that as well. He's he's out of contract this summer. Um, though I do understand he's in you know contract negotiations with uh, Malaga at the moment, so probably will stay there. But um, yeah, very interesting to see what happens to these players. Well, I'm sure we'll come back and kind of touch on them through the remainder of the season and check in again on how how they're progressing. I think one just final thing to uh, yep. end on our Scots abroad is the MLS season is about to start again in just a couple of weeks. So we've got uh, Danny Wilson over there. We've got Johnny Russell. Uh, we've got uh, Sam Nicholson. Um, who are all you know playing at a decent level in the MLS, uh, and that league is in the last few years has really improved. We just seen uh, you know uh, Newcastle spend twenty million pounds on uh, Almiron from Atlanta, so the standard and calibre of player in the MLS is is improving. So hopefully that will mean you know good things for these players as well. So we'll be giving some updates on them in the near future. 
Yeah, absolutely. We, we look forward to talking about those players as well. Um, Almiron actually came on for his Premier League debut tonight um, as a sub against uh, uh, Wolverhampton. So, uh, yeah, anyway, there's there's um, interesting things happening for MLS football uh, and we'll be watching out for the Scottish players there too. Cool. Uh, That's cool. us basically for this episode then. Um, again, it's been Owen Brown um, and Gavin Miller for Pure Football. Um, you can reach Gavin at the Pure Football uh, Twitter account, which is at Pure Football. That's P-U-R-E-F-I-T-B-A-W. Uh, and you can contact me if you want to at Owen James Brown on Twitter. Um, hope you've enjoyed the show. And um, as always, please contact us with anything you want to discuss about this episode or if there's any questions you want us to kind of look at um, in future episodes. Uh, we're very interested in doing that for you. All right, thanks. Goodbye. <laughs>